0: Good morning. morning. If you have a copy of God's Word this morning with you, you can open it to Matthew 28. Matthew 28 and verse 18 will be our launching point. Let me read. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says this, And Jesus came and said to them, We pray, Lord, that we would be obedient individually as Christians and corporately as a local church. We pray that we would be obedient to this mission that you've given us, this great commission here in Matthew 28. That we would be faithful to follow it through from the beginning to the end and as we're seeking to be faithful lord that we would depend upon you to do it and that you would receive the glory for it we we want to be a faithful obedient church that is a light to the community that you have placed us within to the neighbors you've given us to the co-workers that you've placed us among, to our families, to friends. So many people in our lives, Lord, help us to be faithful. Help us to be faithful so that they might know Jesus and they might experience Jesus in reconciliation. And so, Lord, we pray that you would bless our time together now as we open your word and seek to understand more about what it is to be your church, what the church looks like, how the church should function. And so, Lord, I pray that you would bless us, guard your people from anything false I may say, Lord, but may your word go forth with power and conviction and and convince us, Lord, of your truth. We love you, Lord. We thank you for loving us first, and we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. So, we've been looking at the church for a a couple of weeks, a few weeks now, and we've noted that God teaches us a few very significant truths about the church. Number one, the significance and value of the church, right? The significance and the value of the church. Christ bought the church with his blood. There's no greater price uh, than the blood of Christ. There's all the riches in the world combined from uh, the beginning of mankind to the end uh, cannot be combined and hold a candle to the value that is in the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And so the significance of the church and the value of the church is shown in that Christ purchased the church with his blood and it took his death for the church to be purchased. Without the the victory, the death, the perfect life, the atoning blood, and the victory over death that Christ accomplished, there would be no church. And so Christ's victory over death enabled the church to exist. We've also noticed the authority of the church. The church is to exercise its authority in the membership of the church. The church is to endorse professions of faith when they align with a scriptural understanding of the gospel and the church also is to remove that endorsement when that profession of faith is no longer aligning with a scriptural understanding of the gospel or if that profession of faith has been recanted of um, and then the church removes its endorsement. There's a, there is to be accountability within the church. And why is that? It's not because the church or Christ has commanded us to be mean-spirited people. That's, that's not the point of church accountability here's the point of church accountability the church through the holy spirit giving us understanding of the word of god we now know that sin is harmful and so our role with one another is to help us remove sin because if we allow it to stay it's harming us no one wants anything harming their children right And if we see something harming our children, we do our best to remove that harmful thing. Well, the church is to come together and say, listen, we're going to look out for one another as as brothers and sisters in Christ. And we're going to speak into each other's lives when necessary and help those harmful things go away by the power of God um, and through prayer and patience. I, I talked about the patience and the long suffering that we must have towards one another. The, the absolute critical uh, understanding that it must be sin that we're confronting and not liberties that we don't like, right? Because the worst thing a church can become is a bunch of legalistic opinionated people that enforce opinions on everybody else. It's so dangerous, it splits church and it splits churches all the time and it's not a picture of the gospel. And so we need to have accountability, but at the same time, it needs to be accountability and love and patience. And for the purpose of those harmful uh, things, sin, to be um, expunged from our lives through prayer, prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit. Also, the mission of the church is to go, right? I just read Matthew 28, go therefore, right? All authority has been given to Jesus, There's no higher authority. There's no one that can stop him, right? The gates of hell will not prevail against the church because Christ is the head of the church. And so we are therefore to go. That that involves a willingness. A willingness to, to be scoffed at. A willingness to be made fun of. A willingness to be thought less of By the world because we care for them and we don't want the harmful things that they're doing to continue in their life to ultimately bring condemnation in the end. So we are to go and make disciples, the second thing, make disciples. We look at the world through the lens of evangelism, through the lens of prayer, through the lens of how can I minister uh, and be an ambassador of Christ to this person. And then baptizing disciples, those who profess Christ um, with a biblical understanding of the gospel, we're to baptize them. And then we are to, and this is important, um, and this is the ongoing ministry of the church, is to teach them to observe all Christ commands of us. This is the ongoing teaching ministry of local churches for the maturing and equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, right? So this morning, I want to zero in on the baptizing component of the Great Commission and and kind of answer these questions. Who do we baptize? What is baptism supposed to signify? And what is the church membership supposed to reflect? What is is our church membership supposed to reflect, right? Um, So I want to start with the old covenant given to Abraham okay and, and we're going to work our way through this morning hopefully Lord willing y'all will listen fast enough and we can get through this sermon the old covenant was given to Abraham right all of us most of us know that physical circumcision physical circumcision was uh, a physical sign for a physical people expressed through the nation of Israel right So God said, you come into covenant with me, you're going to be circumcised, right? Um, And so physical circumcision was the sign that set one apart from the world and as being a member of God's people. You were a member of God's people if you were physically circumcised, no matter what your spiritual condition was. And that's repeated throughout the Old Testament, right? Um, Not all of Israel, Paul says, is of Israel, Right. So you were a part of the nation of Israel, whether you were spiritually alive or not. It was physical circumcision. Right. In the Old Testament. So under under Moses, the people of God were given laws which were to set them apart from other nations. And this was for the purpose of displaying the greatness and goodness of God to the other nations through the people of the Lord, which was is the nation of Israel. And many of those laws, many of those laws, especially the ceremonial laws that have been done away with, were pointing to the Messiah who would fulfill those ceremonial laws. And when we read through the book of Hebrews, we see all that explained in great detail. Many of those laws, the ceremonial especially, pointed to the necessity of of a Messiah who would come and save the people from their sin. Why? Because the blood and bulls, the blood of bulls and goats do not take away sin. Right? It's just a reminder of sin and a reminder of our need of a sacrifice that God will provide that will remove our sin. And our faith in the provision that God has promised, God will actually provide for an Old Testament saint. But As Paul states in Romans, the Israelites, the nation of Israel, generally speaking, he says, misunderstood the purpose of the law. They misunderstood the purpose of the law. And instead of seeing the law as a reminder of our sinfulness and a a reminder that God has promised a a Messiah and we need to be looking for that Messiah to take away our sins, they misinterpreted the law and used it as a platform to obtain a self-righteousness which cannot be obtained, by the way. And so they misunderstood the law that God gave them, Paul says, and they sought to gain a righteousness righteousness for themselves through their own works. But here's the thing. The law was unable to to enable people to obey. That's what Paul says, right? That's what the New Testament teaches and the Old Testament teaches. The law... Cannot and will not, because it cannot, enable you to become righteous. Laws are still unable to enable people to obey. Amen? We have a law for everything in this country, we still have people disobey it. All laws can do is tell you what you must do in order to not be a lawbreaker. That's what law does. Law says, do this or do not do this, and you won't be a lawbreaker. But it cannot enable you to keep the law. The speed limit sign says 55. It does not enable you to drive 55, right? It just tells you what the speed limit is, and if you break it, you have the potential of being pulled over and forking out cash to the city or the county. All the law can do is tell you what you must do in order to not be a lawbreaker or how to not become unrighteous in the eyes of the law and the lawgiver. The people were constantly, when you read through the Old Testament, you see that the people were constantly disobeying God, right? And they were suppressing their disobedience and straying to the false gods of the other nations. And God was constantly disciplining them in order to woo them back to him. That's what the discipline was for. It was for the wooing of them back to him. From the call of Abraham to the coming of Christ, people were marked off from the world by circumcision but God discloses later in the Old Testament what was so from the beginning, but in greater revelation. And what I mean by that is the new covenant that's displayed in the Old Testament that Christ, and we'll see this in a minute, Christ initiated. Okay? So we have the old covenant and God is disclosing in greater revelation a new covenant that's coming because we can't obey because the law can't enable us to obey. All the law is meant to do is to let us know whether or not we're breaking the law, and we have all fallen short, sin, and fallen short of the glory of God, and so we're all reminded by the law. That's why they want the Ten Commandments out of the courtrooms, because they remind us of our sin against God, and that we need someone other than ourselves to represent us before God because we become unrighteous in our sin. And so God is disclosing in greater revelation what was so from the beginning in this new covenant promise in the Old Testament. Throughout throughout the Old Testament, God was constantly, and and, and if you've read your Bible much, you'll you'll recognize this, God was constantly declaring that their keeping of the sacrifices and, and, and other things were not what he was looking at. Your sacrifices, he says, are are nothing. Because he was looking at the heart. He was looking at the motive. And the law cannot make you love the law. Sometimes when that speed limit signs fifty five, I hate it. Amen? There's a few honest people. I want it to be 65. Sometimes when it's 25, I want it to be 45. Sometimes when it's flashing school zone and I have to get through it, I don't want it to be flashing 15 or what whatever it is. Except for the safety of the kids. And God says your sacrifices don't mean anything if the heart's not there. You can give the greatest, most pure sacrifice, bring the be- most beautiful lamb to the altar, but if your heart isn't in it, it means nothing. And everything that we're supposed to do is ultimately be out of an ultimate love for God. Love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. Everything we do is to ultimately be done out of an ultimate love for God. But it wasn't. And God saw that repeatedly and chastised His people to call them back from the idols that they were falling prey to and chasing after. Some of those idols being statues, some of them being false gods, some of them being things we'll look at in Haggai in a couple of weeks. And constantly, God was declaring that the people of God needed to be circumcised of the heart. You recognize that phrasing? They needed to be circumcised of the heart. It's the heart that needs to be circumcised for you to really be my people. And constantly calling them to stop being a stiff-necked people, meaning they're constantly resisting Him. So, good news came to God's people in greater understanding in Jeremiah 31. And I want to kind of look at this. Jeremiah 31, there's a couple of passages that are very similar that we'll look at. But I want to look at Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. We see this wonderful manifestation of what God is going to do through the Messiah. Promised all the way back in Genesis 3 with the seed of the woman, right? Right? and then as we make our way through the Old Testament, it's going to be of the lineage of Abraham, and then of the lineage of the nation of Israel, and then the, the scepter will not leave Judah. It's going to be through the tribe of Judah, and then it's going to be through the loins of King David, right? But it's going to be one like a son of man, but not, not specifically like a human. He's going to be born of a virgin. He's going to be like, like, like the son of man, but not completely human. Right? And, and we, we realize this in the New Testament. He's 100% man, so he, but, but he's 100% God. So he's like the Son of Man, but more. His kingdom's going to be eternal. And we get these tidbits throughout the Old Testament until we get to the New Testament where the Gospels declare this is Him, this is the one. Read from Genesis this is the seed. This is the, the seed of the woman. This is the seed of Abraham. This is the seed of Israel. This is the seed of King David. This is the one. This is him. If you want to follow back the lineage, you can. Matthew gives it. Luke gives it. All the way back to Adam. Jeremiah 31, 31-34 says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. You see that? That's different. It's not just the law external that they're looking at. The law will be within them. And I will write it on their hearts, Hmm, familiar language. A new heart. I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord. Listen to this. For they shall all know me. A way we recognize new covenant people is that they know God. It's not like the old covenant where just a few didn't bow their knee to Baal. In the new covenant, that the people will be known by their love for God and knowing Him. It says, for they shall all know Me, from the least of them to the de- the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more now this is fantastic news isn't it I mean listen I can't keep the law and I keep breaking it amen anybody testify to that I keep breaking the law I keep disobeying God and if that's the best there is I'm in deep trouble because I cannot stand before God in judgment And represent myself. Someone has to represent me. And God says, I'm going to provide this. I'm going to provide this through the Messiah. And it's going to be a covenant that's kept for you. On behalf of you. And, And those in the covenant... Have their sins forgiven so much that I'll remember them no more. That's good news. I'm glad that my sins that occur daily are remembered no more by God because of Christ. Jeremiah 32 39 through 40. Says the same, but a little differently. It says, I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them, and I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. How about that? Isn't that wonderful, dear Christian, that God puts, because fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. God puts a fear in us as his people. Why? So that we won't turn from him. You want to know what happened in the old covenant constantly? He said it already. They broke the covenant. They kept turning away from him. They would get out of covenant with him. They would sin against him, though he was their husband. Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27, another similar saying, just a little different. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Does this not sound like New Testament Right? That we've been, Paul says, given the Holy Spirit that lives within us and seals us as a guarantee of our inheritance. We're we're not only seeing in these three passages the new covenant that God promises to bring to fruition in the lives of His people, but we're seeing that it will be a spiritual work done by God on His people. Right? This is a spiritual work that's done by God. On his people. He will give them a new heart. He will give them a new spirit. He will put his spirit within them so that they walk in fear of him. And that means awe and respect and worship. So that we won't turn from him and that we'll love him. He'll get take out that heart of stone that all we did before regeneration was suppress the truth of God and unrighteousness and try to remove God from our life And he gives us a heart of flesh that now sees him as the beautiful, magnificent, awe-inspiring God that he is. We're seeing described in these passages the fruits of God's work that will manifest in the lives of the people of God. All made possible in and through Jesus Christ. So, we, we have this new covenant that's glorious and wonderful news. It's, it's good news, right? It's you on Galeon. It's good news. It's the gospel. The gospel is, is that Jesus Christ came and lived a perfect life and kept the covenant between God and man that we broke in order for us to put our faith in Him so that we can be in covenant with God and that covenant will be everlasting. We cannot break from it because Christ kept it for us. That's the good news. God doesn't clean your plate and then say, keep it clean. He says, Christ kept it clean and it will be for you clean eternally because He kept the covenant for you. And He said on the cross, it's finished. The covenant's kept and the sin's been paid for. And we enter that covenant through faith Jesus in the New Testament in Luke twenty-two nineteen 19, and 20 instituted this New Covenant. He di- proclaimed that this New Covenant that was described and revealed throughout the Old Testament is in Him. He's the gate into the New Covenant. He's the door into the New Covenant. He's the Good Shepherd that brings His sheep into the New Covenant. And He took bread, and when He had given Thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. This covenant, this covenant promise is sealed in the blood of Christ. And you'll remember in the Old Testament when, when covenants were made, there were sacrifices made so that the covenants were sealed by a sacrifice. And Jesus is saying, this new covenant, the one that you are longing for, and we read in the Old Testament, I'm sealing it and I'm obtaining it with my blood. I'm going to the cross and I'm going to die so that this new covenant can be yours. And so that I can bring you into this new covenant. this new covenant that God promised in Jeremiah and Ezekiel, which was greater revelation of how Abraham would become the father of a great nation from all nations. Would be accomplished and brought into fulfillment through the covenant-keeping Messiah, Jesus Christ. He would keep perfectly the covenant between God and man for us, and he would pay for our sins, And he would satisfy the justice of God on behalf of all who put their faith in him so that every sin you've ever committed and every sin you'll ever commit has been paid for on the cross of Jesus Christ so that you cannot leave the covenant. You can't break covenant with God. And he purchased for us new hearts and gives them to us through the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. and gives us the indwelling of the Holy Spirit who seals us in the New Covenant. Isn't that... I mean, when Christ says, you're in my hand, and my hand is in the Father's hand, and no one can snatch you out. We've been sealed by the Holy Spirit, which is a guarantee from an omnipotent, sovereign, omniscient God that no one will snatch us out of His hand because the omnipotent Holy Spirit has sealed us as a guarantee. This is a sure promise. And Christ is the fulfillment of this sure promise that God makes in the Old Testament, fulfills in the New Testament, and we see revealed in glory. God will never leave us nor forsake us. The new covenant sign, we're told, is circumcision of the heart. The new covenant sign is circumcision of the heart. What do do I mean by that? Well, the Old Testament, God says what you need is not your sacrifices, but you need your heart circumcised. You need your heart of stone taken out and replaced with a heart of flesh. So the new covenant sign is circumcision of the heart. But guess what? A circumcision of the heart always expresses itself in repentance and faith. That's what the Bible teaches us. If you have been circumcised in the heart, it will manifest in your life by you repenting of your sins and putting your faith in Jesus Christ. Because when you've been uh, given a heart of flesh and the heart of stone has been removed, you now love the Lord. You now know the Lord according to the new covenant promise and your sins are forgiven. And so, what does the church do? The church tries to identify as best we can biblically through scriptural understanding who has been circumcised of the heart. And so what does the church look for with someone that's been circumcised of the heart? We can't see it, right? We can't open their chest up because it's not speaking of a physical heart. How, how How do we judge whether or not someone's been circumcised of the heart? The Bible says that it will manifest itself in repentance and faith. Their sins will become a burden to them and they'll want it removed and they'll put their faith in Christ because He's the only mediator and reconciler who can take their sins off their back. And so the church says, we believe that you've been circumcised of the heart and we're willing to put our endorsement on you as a believer and as a participant In the new covenant. And now we want this to be public, so we're going to baptize you publicly so that you can profess to the whole church and to anybody who observes that you've been circumcised of the heart. Now, what makes the difference in the church? which is the new institution of the people of God and the nation of Israel which was the old testament institution and that is one must be spiritually alive you're not supposed to you 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 are not in the new covenant if you're not spiritually alive that's what Jeremiah and Ezekiel says that's what the new testament says you are not in the new covenant if you are not spiritually alive. So someone must be spiritually alive and circumcised of the heart, which is regeneration, in order to be in the New Covenant, which is expressed in this wording in the New Testament, the the church, universally, right? Universally. There's local manifestations of the Bride of Christ, but the the universal church is all those churches combine those who are truly circumcised of the heart. In John 3 3, Jesus answered Nicodemus said, Truly, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, guess what? He cannot see the kingdom of God. He cannot enter the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Which he was speaking of regeneration, which is speaking Old Testament language of A heart of stone being removed and a heart of flesh being put in. And that person knowing. In the New Covenant, from the least to the greatest, everyone knows God. In the Old Testament covenant, you were circumcised, but it didn't mean that you were circumcised of the heart. That's the difference. In the New Covenant, everyone knows God. In the Old Covenant, not everyone knew. Not all of Israel is of Israel, Paul said. Right? And it it is the church's responsibility to do the best we can by endorsing true professions of faith in order that the local church is as close to the invisible universal church as possible. That's what we've been given a responsibility as the people of God expressed through the church to make sure through the keys of the kingdom and the authority that Christ has given to the church in order for us to do the very best through scriptural understanding and prayer to give endorsements to true professions of faith and remove that endorsement when that profession of faith no longer aligns with Scripture so that the bride of Christ is as pure as it can be and reflects the universal church as best as it can. So the new sign of belonging to god the the real sign is no longer a physical one it's a spiritual one it's circumcision of the heart and we profess that has occurred publicly through baptism but baptism that's all it is it's just a profession of what's already occurred internally in my soul So what we see in the New Testament, the New Testament teaches New Covenant members differ from Old Covenant members. Old Testament covenant was physical circumcision, but not all heart circumcision. All members of New Covenant equal heart circumcision. And local churches are to reflect, as I said, the universal church as best as possible. It's a responsibility that God's given us. That's why Matthew 18, Christ commands us to Confront unrepented sin within the body. And since the ascension of Jesus Christ, God has been calling his new covenant people out, not by a circumcision of the flesh, but by his word and spirit to convert the soul through regeneration. I want to say that again. Since the ascension of Jesus Christ. God has been calling his new covenant people out, not by a circumcision of the flesh, but by his word and spirit to convert the soul through regeneration. Heart circumcision. Circumcision said to Israel, make yourselves new. Baptism says to Christians, this one has already been made new. They are drawn into the local church, believers, disciples. They're drawn into the local church. They join a local church in which they continue in obedience to Jesus Christ and the Great Commission by being under the teaching ministry of the church, which is what God has ordained and Christ has commanded so that we can, for a lifetime, learn what Christ commands us to do and be reminded of it because, oh, how we forget. Amen. And the, ch- the church is the manifestation of God's people and the church is supposed to be made up of regenerate, gospel-believing, faith-in-Christ-alone people. The Apostle Paul informs us in Romans and in Galatians and in Ephesians that the mystery of the gospel is that in Christ, Jews and Gentiles are made one people into and through the church. And the church is the expression of God's people in the New Testament. And next next week I want to look at New Testament examples of baptism and discuss that. But I, I hope that it's clear from God's word what the church is supposed to look like, what the church is supposed to reflect. We are as best we can. We're not infallible. We're not omniscient. I can't see whether or not, and you can't see whether or not someone has been spiritually circumcised. So we, we evaluate the expressions, the, the biblical expressions of a circumcision of the heart, and that is repentance and faith. A life of repentance and faith. And repentance is not just at conversion. Repentance is a lifelong activity of every Christian. Because we continue to fall into sin every day. But praise God that this new covenant that we are in is an eternal covenant that has been kept for us, and so we can't break it. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the work of Christ to obtain the church, to call his people to himself, to regenerate them and Call them to faith and repentance in Jesus Christ. Help us to be humbled that this is not a work done by us, it's done on us by God. And we thank you for your graciousness to make us alive together in Christ, that we can be a local manifestation of the church. of the Bride of Christ, and that we would be a loving, compassionate, patient, long-suffering community of believers who, who desire to love one another and pour ourselves into others and pray and lift each other up and bear each other's burdens and practice grace on each other every time we see each other and every time we think of each other, that we would practice grace and biblical love. And that everything we do to and for each other would be out of an ultimate love for God, for you, for Christ. Help us, Lord. We cannot do this outside of grace. And so we pray for your grace to be poured into our hearts and that the Holy Spirit will continue to enable us to to do and to be willing to do for your good pleasure. And we pray all this in Christ's name, amen.